So Friday was Valentine's Day. We have a problem about Valentine's Day in my house. My wife is allergic to chocolate. <laughs> the problem is twofold. Uh, one, if she eats chocolate, then, then she gets sick. The other is if people give us chocolate, I eat it all. That's the bigger problem. But because of that, uh, I don't know, or maybe just because I tend to procrastinate, I woke up Friday morning and realized it's Valentine's Day and I have no card. This is not a good thing. We've been married for three decades. I don't want to lose that. I needed a card. I have made reservations, although I was uh, too late to get a decent time for the favorite restaurant she likes. And so um, we ate with the uh, senior citizens at 515. <laughs> but I thought I could recover if I, uh, if, I could, if I could get her her favorite color of roses and at least one card. And so I did what any panicked husband does on Valentine's Day. I... I drove to Payless. It's the buyout place, right? You can bail you out. Because they have flowers and cards and candy I can't buy. And so I went in on Valentine's Day. Actually, it was even better than that. I drove my wife to her job and then said, hey, I'll be back. I'm going to run a few errands. She had no clue. So I go to Payless. I walk in, and I have to tell you, Valentine's morning, if you were part of the dozen of us who were standing looking at the card rack at Payless, you need to know, they were almost out of Valentine's. Now, God is good to me because they had two Valentine's there that fit my wife. I was so scared because when I walked down the aisle, I looked, and I mean, the card rack is just, I mean, it's 85% empty. But they had the two I needed. I got my reservations. I got her her favorite flowers. We were in a great place. She was surprised. I was good. Oh, and I also added a Starbucks chai tea latte. Just add the real kicker on because when you're late, you really got to help, right? And some of you are going, Pastor, that's cute. Why are you telling us the story? Well, I'm telling you because... As I stood there and then as I thought about it and I knew what I was scheduled to preach for you today from this letter that John wrote in the first century to a group of people who followed Christ in a culture that didn't follow Christ, I, I, I was taken back, I, I, honestly. You see, they were almost out of candy. The flower lady was working furiously to get all the arrangements together. The card rack was, all of this because it's Valentine's Day. And all, all these people are buying all these things because they, they want to tell somebody how much they're loved. Now, if you were just to drop into our culture right now and go just to the Payless card aisle and the flower shop and the candy shop and see all the money that's being spent to express love and all the cards that are gone and the flowers that are gone and all of that, you would think, wouldn't you? This is a very loving culture until you listen to social media or read the newspaper or looked at the television 
See, we're, we're living in this world of a dichotomy. There, there's a dichotomy between the things we want to say, like, you're my valentine, I love you. Here, let me tell you how much I love you, and what we actually do. And John knew that. Well, he didn't know about us and our Valentines in 2020, but, but what he knew about was that, that there's a disconnect between the way we say we love people, the things we do to show our love for people, and the actual love we really have for people. And so as he's writing to the church in the first century, what John is saying to them is he's saying, look, Jesus came. He walked among us. What I saw with my eyes, what I heard with my ears, I touched with my hands. This is the light of God in the darkness of the world. And the people who are stumbling around in the darkness, they need to know that God has come and God is present. And the only way they're going to know that is if you show them. And you can't just give them flowers and you can't just give them cards and you can't just tell them that you love them. You've got to live life in a way that lets them know that they're loved. But there's a problem. Because you see, even though the world is a, is a world in, in, that God created good, even though you and I are people that God formed and made in his own image, in, the psalmist tells us that even in our mother's womb, God knew us and he was shaping us in his image and that he breathed into all of human creation his own spirit, his own breath. And we've been called to be people who love in the way that we have been loved by Jesus. The problem is, if we don't know the love of Jesus, all we've got to love with is our own love. And so we try to, we try to make up for it. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that all the candy and all the flowers and all the cards given on Friday cannot make up for all the hatred and bigotry and prejudice and division in the world right now. I'm pretty sure that, that all of the, the, the beautiful pictures on social media of the people that we love can't really make up for some of the things we say about each other on those same, those same venues 364 other days. See, I, I, I really believe that, that what God is asking us to do is to, is to understand the difference between being loved by God and therefore loving people and loving ourselves and saying we love people. And that's why John wrote these words. Listen to them. It's just, it's just a few simple verses in, in John, 1 John chapter 2. I'll read beginning at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What, what John is telling us is that Jesus came and lived among us to show us a different way. And when he says, don't love the world or the things of the world, by the way, he's not talking about you have every right to, to rape the creation. He's not talking about hating the creation. 
What he's talking about is that there is a system within the world. John talks quite frequently in his letters about how the word became flesh and the flesh dwelt among us and, and, and that God let us know that, that he cares enough about his creation to come and redeem his creation. What, what John is wanting the church to know then and the church to know now is that God's creation is good. I mean, Genesis tells us, doesn't it? That when God created the world, after every part of creation, God would kick back and say, now that's good. <laughs> and you are made in the image of God. And yet, John says, don't love the world or the things of the world. What, what's he? He's not talking about creation. He's talking about the system that the world has created since the world has become centered on self. See, when you become centered on self, you're no longer centered on the God who creates. Now you're centered on the need that you perceive. And your perceived need is not always what is best for you. There's a, a word for it. It, it. Psychologists use it a lot. It's called narcissistic. What it means is that everything revolves around you. And what John is telling the early church and therefore telling us is that, is that in a world where everything revolves around us, nothing gets resolved to be about God. What you really have to understand that John is saying is that, is that when you really value everything except God, when you, when you desire and chase after the things that are that are for your own fulfillment and your own needs, you miss the beauty of what God wants to do in your life. See, God created you and God created the world to show us how much he loves us. And he created the people around you so that they could know how much he loves them. And the way he's chosen to do this is to come and dwell among us and to dwell in us so that you and I can be his, his emissaries, his, his representatives, his ambassadors of this love. Because you see, loving well, loving well begins when, when we have the right focus in our life. When we, when we see things clearly, when we, when we are able to focus on what really matters. Years ago, when my sons were in kindergarten, preschool, I, I realized that in order to be a good 20th century dad, I, I, and it was the 20th century, not the 21st, I had, I had to have a camcorder. You just couldn't be a dad without a camcorder. I mean, my brother-in-law had an eight-millimeter projector. That's how old he was, all right? But, but uh, you had to have one of those things. And it had to, had, had to be big. They didn't make the little ones yet. These were the big ones. Just sat on your shoulder, okay? I mean, take up about you know, half a city block. You'd have to have surgery after you used it. And, and all the dads had one. I mean, every, if every kindergarten program, every Christmas program at the church, you would see the, the, the dad wall, all right? And, and, and you, they would stand along the side. They'd bring the little tripods. The guys couldn't afford tripods, lean on the wall. And, 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 I, and, and I didn't belong because I didn't have a camcorder. 
But my sons were getting older and I wasn't capturing their life so they could watch it back and see themselves on the screen because you do know that's why we make the videos so the kids can go back and see themselves. I mean, from the time they're young, they're like, me, me. And so I bought a camcorder. I I was so bad. I followed my oldest son his first day of first grade from the car to the building down the hallway, into the classroom. Some of you are going, wow, what kind of school would let you do that? The one where I was the president, that's the one. <laughs> the teachers were like, hey, oh, this Pastor Kerry, he's, he's in charge. Oh, yep, yep, I'm doing this. And by the way, I have that video now. It's still on VHS. I haven't gotten it over the digital. Some of you would be interested in it because my son's best friend in first grade was Preston Kegley. I have video of Preston Kegley's first day in first grade. (laughs) For enough money. (laughs) And and, and so I, I, I had this camcorder, and I'm taking all this stuff. And then we made a trip from Florida, where we lived, up to Nashville, Tennessee, to see my brother. And when we went there, the temperature just, it dropped so cold. It got down to 30 degrees. Now, that's a heat wave in Indiana. But in Nashville, Tennessee, for people from Daytona Beach, Florida, we were freezing. And I forgot and left my camcorder in the trunk of the car. And I don't remember if it was a birthday celebration or Christmas. I, I want to believe it was like Christmas time in, in Tennessee and with the family. And I just suddenly remembered I need to get pictures of not just my boys, but, but their cousins and the aunts and uncles. And so I went back out to the car and I grabbed the camcorder. And would you believe it? When I looked through the lens, everything was foggy. It was so foggy. It, it, and I, and I, I told my wife, I've ruined it. I've broken the camcorder. Because... Everything is blurry. I don't know if these pictures are going to be any good. I don't know if our boys will be able to recognize themselves on the television. The world may come to an end. But we took the pictures anyway. Through the blurry lens, I kept watching, and, and, and nothing looked focused to me at all. And, and I kept doing it, and, and, and then I made it. But the video came out great. All the cousins, the boys, the, hey, here, that's me. Look at it. And I'm like, okay, good. I may not be able to see them clearly, but they can see themselves. And after all, that's really what it's all about, right? And then we went home to Florida. And the camera lens didn't change. It was still, there was still moisture inside. It was still foggy. And I'm thinking, oh man, now it's it's, it's horrible. Until the the next preschool program for my youngest son. I'm standing there putting my fog filled lenses on the camcorder and I'm I'm putting it on a tripod and I'm getting ready to shoot and one of the dads came by a friend of mine I said Freddie I'm I've messed it up man I'm the world's worst dad I, I I've broken my camcorder it's not gonna work he said I know a little bit about that stuff let me look at it I said sure man go ahead and he looked at it and he smiled and he said hey pastor look at this you see this little button right here it's called the focus I'm like, yeah, no, 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 that, that focuses the picture. He's like, no, no, this is the one for the lens you look through. You didn't break your camcorder. You just knocked the button out of line. Some of you haven't ruined your life. You've just knocked the button out of line. 
because you don't have your focus on who Jesus really is. You don't have your focus on what God really wants to do in your life. Instead, you've bought the organization of the world. You've bought the culture that says, it's about me. You've become like what John is writing about when he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world's system, the love of the Father is not in them. See, if you give yourself entirely to loving what the world tells you to love, loving what you think you need, loving what you believe is best for you, then you're no longer listening to the one who created you. You're just listening to the system that grows out of your failure. Well, Pastor, why would John say that? Because you see, when your life is out of focus and when your life is not fixed on who Jesus really is, not what you believe about him, but who he really is, then you, you miss it unless you can discover the real source of love. And it's not the candy, it's not the, it's not the cards, it's not the culture, it's God. God is love. You want to have a renewal of the love in your life for the people around you? You want to have a renewal of what God wants to do in your life? A new way of looking at the world? Then, then loving well is not just about refocusing your life on Jesus. It's about understanding that God in his love for you sent Jesus to show you what love is really all about. And love is never narcissistic. Love is never about just filling your own needs. I mean, come on. Jesus came here. He left everything that was in heaven to come and be born in a manger and be raised by a carpenter. I mean, he didn't even pick a political pundit. He didn't even pick a, a place of prestige. He, he, he picked a humble, humble life so that everybody would know how much God loved them. Enough to send his son, his one and only son. See, loving well means knowing the source of the things we love. And that person who drives you nuts, that person who's broken your heart, that person who's ignored you, that person who said things about you, that person who causes you in your world to think, I could never, ever love them. God loves them because God is true to his source. Years ago, I had some friends who, uh, who wanted to play a joke on me. Uh, we were out in Missouri, and these guys are tremendous hunters and fishermen. And I'm not. I'm not a big outdoors kind of guy. I mean, I like to look at the outdoors through the window at the HI Express, you know? But they're like, no, we want you to, we want you to come on the river fishing with us. And I like these guys. But fishing, I mean, come on. Do you know how long it takes those fish to bite the bait? I mean, it's just like you have to be patient for that. Patience is a virtue with which I have not been blessed. And I, and I, I was like, but guys, they said, oh, it'll be fun, Carrie. Come on with us. So we went fishing together in a boat on the current river down in southeast Missouri. 
I was really along just to hang with those guys. They were great guys. I loved being around them, and I knew I wasn't going to catch any fish. And sure enough, about halfway through the day, it was a beautiful summer, hot, sultry Missouri day. Probably somewhere in the 90s with humidity in the 90th percent. I mean, just muggy. Just feel the air around you. And about halfway through the morning, one of those guys stood up, and he peeled his shirt off, and he jumped over the side of the boat. And, and he looked up at me. He said, hey, Gary, come on in, man. Water's great. And so I, I did because it was hot. So I peel my shirt off. I jump over the side of the boat. Do you know what I jumped into? The current river is a spring-fed river that is so clear that when you fly over it in an airplane, you can see the bottom. It comes out of some springs about 30 miles north of where we were. And it never, in its entirety, the entire river, it never ever gets above about 50 degrees water temperature. When I hit that water, I mean, everything in me was going stupid, stupid, stupid. I managed to go down to, I mean, my feet are trying to find something. Finally, I, I, I found a log, a rock, something, and I shot back up. I promise, I didn't like dog paddling. I went right back up into the boat, and I'm sitting there just shivering. And these guys are dying laughing because they had been planning this for weeks. But I learned something that day. I learned that things that are true to their source never change. And over the years since, I, I've kind of wondered, how do I stay true to Jesus as the source of my life? See, John tells us that this is how we know what love is, that God loved us first. It's not that we say, oh, God, I love you. And so God says, yeah, because you love me, I love you. No, no, no. He loves you regardless. He's true to himself. He's true to his source. But the world comes along with this narcissism. The world comes along with this self-centeredness. The world comes along with this system that, that's designed to take us off focus. And, and so suddenly we're no longer loving because we've been loved. We're loving in order to get. We're loving in order to receive, not in order to, to love. That's why John tells us, for all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh... And the desires, the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father. It's from this world system. See, this, this need that we have, this, this sense that, oh, I've got to get my needs met in order to love you. No, 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 no. Listen, no other human being can ever love you enough to cause you to love them. Only God can love you enough to cause you to love another person. It's love true to its source. And when we disconnect from the source, when we, when we begin to look for the desires of our heart, the desires of the flesh, the desires of our eyes, the, the pride of our possessions, then we miss. We miss what it is. And, and by the way, 
If you want to do some exegesis, if you want to look at those words that are translated, the, 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 the desires of the flesh and the desires of our eyes and the, and the pride of life, let me tell you what they translate as. They translate as the desires of your flesh and the desires of your eyes and the pride of life. Pride in what you have, pride in who you are, pride in what you've accomplished. Desires what you see, the things you long for, the things you want. You see, you see what the world does, the system, is that it supplants the real, authentic source of love of God with a pseudo-love that we buy into because we're looking out of focus. And, and what God is saying to us through John, what he wants us to know in the 21st century, that he was trying to get the people in the first century to know is that if you are not careful, then these things creep into your life. Uh, in my first church, the founding pastor was a wonderful, wonderful man named John R. Harris, an evangelist down in southeast Tennessee and north Georgia in the 40s and 50s who founded that congregation and then pastored it for many years. Then he retired and went up and started another congregation. He just couldn't stop, and, and, and he just kept serving the Lord. But he had eight children Four of them were in the congregation that I served. One of them was his daughter, Margaret. She used to love to tell the story about how her father, who never had a driver's license, who took public transportation, who walked to the hospitals to see people, who visited people in their homes, would start this little neighborhood church on the south side of Chattanooga in the little community of East Ridge. And how every morning her dad, after breakfast, would walk down the street and through two backyards for a shortcut to get to the church where he would go about his daily work and sermon prep. And how on one day, as, as she was a, a teenage girl, she was, she was on the front porch one summer day, and she saw her father going down, and he walked as a path he'd walked every day, until then one day, that day, he suddenly came back out, turned down the road, and walked an entire block out of the way to get to the church. At supper that night, she, she said, hey, Dad, what was going on? You always walk between those two houses. You, you always go that direction. Now you went a further direction. Was there something wrong? What, what happened? He said, well, Margaret, this morning was a beautiful day in Tennessee, and the sun was out. And Mrs. Smith, who lives in that house, she decided it was a great day to sunbathe in her bathing suit. And when I walked between those two houses, I couldn't help but remember a a scripture verse that says, flee the very appearance of evil. And that looked pretty evil to me, Margaret. It looked pretty evil. Some of you go, Pastor, that's a dumb story from the 1950s. Really? Think about some of the things you see people wearing. Think about what you can pull up on your phone. Think about what you can see with your eyes. And maybe it's not sexual. Maybe, maybe it's the places you go. Maybe it's the stuff you want. I don't know. You know that house in the neighborhood, their yard is always better than yours. The guy that has a bigger car than you. The guy that always wants more than you. See, anything, any of those things, they become the things that, they become the things that, that get between us and God. And what John is saying is, whatever's between you and God, it needs to go away. You really want to love well? Whatever it is, 
Even if it's something that looks good to everybody else, if it's become an idol to you, if it becomes a God to you, then it needs to be removed so you can be true to the source of the real God. Some of you have been wondering why you received a white card when you came in today. Some of you are thinking, everybody else got one, why not me? But you were supposed to all get one. If you didn't get one, you can use a card that's in the pew rack. Because right now I'm about to ask you to make a valentine. I'm about to ask you to make a valentine for God. But I don't want you to write verses. I don't want you to draw flowers. I don't need you to do any of that. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to think for just a minute. What is it that comes between you and God? What is it in your life that has distracted you? You see, what what John's telling the church in the first century and trying to tell us in the 21st century is that loving well connects us to what really matters. In fact, so much so that the world is passing away along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so this valentine to God is a way for you to put on the card. God, this has come between us. And today, I want it gone from between us. I want to be true to the source. As a way of saying to God, God, you know what? No more. This doesn't stay between us. It may be a pain or a hurt, a sin against you. Whatever it is, I'm asking you to trust God, to be true to himself, to be true to his source. St. Augustine said it this way in studying 1 John chapter 2. He said, the God of the universe sent his son Jesus to be temporal, to be earthy, to be among us, to touch our lives so that we, we could live forever and touch eternity. He will never change. And his love endures forever. And he wants us to love well because we've been loved well.